to the Gym Podcast. Uncut, unfiltered, unreal. Welcome everyone to the Gym Podcast. Week two. Welcome. College football. It's back. It's here. Uh, as yeah. always, I am your host, Jimbo Fisher. Joining me my co-host, Randy Darsh. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to week two. I hope my mic sounds better this time. I think I got it, it fixed. Sounds good. It sounds great. And joining us today, a very special guest coming all the way from Pittsburgh. The one, <laughs> the only, New Street Boss. It's a pleasure to be back. Hopefully uh, this week isn't as disastrous for me as uh, the pre-Iowa-Maryland week from last year. Disastrous? What, remind us again what happened uh, during that week. Uh, so I picked, I believe I picked Maryland straight up over Iowa, and I think the entire world saw what happened next. Well, so okay. that's, that's we'll leave it at that. It's a new year. That's okay. It's a new year, new season. You have to remain positive. So I think the first order of business of what we really need to discuss is I think everybody is excited about this. I think everybody, and not a single person, disagrees that this could be negative. Everybody <laughs> agrees that this is positive. Is the playoff has officially agreed to expand to 12 teams. They're going to take the six highest-ranked conference champions. So now it's power six, essentially, and then six other at-larges. So I think this is actually great. I'm just going to say personally, I think this is great. I think this is going to lead to a lot of awesome, like, degenerate watching later in the season where we're having to pay attention to some random game like, I don't know, Penn State versus Maryland. True. Um, shout out NSB. <laughs> um, <laughs> where it's going to be like, well, if Maryland wins this game, then maybe – that because of the formula that could keep Michigan out of the conference championship game and that could ruin their playoff hopes. I think stuff like that is probably going to happen. I think that'll be very cool. Mm-hmm. But I think this is what pretty much everybody wanted. Am I right? Uh, Turtle, your thoughts on this? Absolutely. I mean, because the, the biggest thing for me was when you look at the retroactive, and I think I sent over the, the chart, but when you look at the retroactive, you know, because since 2014 – um, you know, the playoff committee has been ranking the teams and they're going to maintain that. So we can actually retroactively apply this um, to prior years. And if you look at it from that lens, over half the power five would have been in just in the past eight seasons, um, almost 10% of the group of five. So um, I really don't find any major flaws with this model. You know, maybe I might like to see it expanded further at some point, but to be honest, I think this, satisfies a whole whole lot of problems that we had with the, the original four here's the thing <clears throat> our biggest the biggest complaint i see is that what doesn't matter because we have no parity anyway i think this is specifically going to actually help a lot with parity and spread the talent around because i mean you can actually sell to your to recruits like hey you have a chance to be seen on a very national stage and make the playoffs i don't think recruits nowadays necessarily care that much about specific college accolades and championships But I think the way it's going to be sold is you're going to be seen by scouts and by the country and gain hype on a national stage in the playoffs. This that's a really good shot for you to raise your draft stock a lot, if nothing else. Yeah, I think the angle that I'm most excited for is actually the kind of interesting caveat they included with all of this, which is that in that very first round, teams five through eight will be hosting teams nine through twelve at like at at home stadiums in uh, you know December. Um, As a Wisconsin fan who Looking at this chart here that you sent, Dennis B. Oh, come on. No, we would have hosted in 2016 and 2019 um, against USC and Florida uh, by these metrics, which would have been just hilarious to see these, like, you know, schools from very warm climates have to travel north here to Wisconsin to play in the playoffs. I mean, you have to admit, like, as a neutral fan, that would be awesome to see. And I'm looking forward to matchups like this. Just in general, like, seeing a playoff game at a home campus stadium is going to be insanely hype, you know? Adding on to that real quickly, uh, Wisconsin also would have hosted in 2017 against Washington. So you get a little bit of East Coast, West Coast there. there you go. But also, you know, some people I think might be concerned by this and say, well, you know, is this going to force the group of five to have to play at a road site instead of neutral? Not always the case. 2018, UCF would have hosted a playoff game as well as 2020 Cincinnati. Obviously, 2021 Cincinnati would have just received a bye to the neutral sites in the quarterfinals, but definitely a lot of really exciting opportunities for some home playoff games that I think will overall increase viewership and be good for the sport. I think it's kind of funny that like the ultimate wet dream I always hear from Big Ten fans is <laughs> I can't wait to see a Southern team come up here to play it's in true. December. It's gonna Listen, happen. 
It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hey, we're going to see. I don't think it's going to be. A, it'll be a factor, but it's not going to be a massive factor. I will give a Big Ten team t- three points on the spread for that. Oh, man. I'm I'll give you three. Because it, it, it is just like an inevitability that like Michigan or Penn State or Michigan State will. They're going to host like Miami or something. Yeah, Vandy. <laughs> Vandy's making the playoffs. I mean, I guess it's possible now <laughs> in this new format. But I'll say they were going to host Miami, a South Florida team. <laughs> but but here's the thing is we do I'm just gonna say this last thing before we move on. Sure. We have seen in the NFL at least, like Miami the Dolphins will go play in the blowing snow and it doesn't seem to really affect them and they live there all season long, you know. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it could be a factor, especially for college students who may not be used to those types of climates quite yet. Because at least with like the Dolphins, it's not like the first time they're ever experiencing it, you know? Exactly. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I mean, you probably literally will have scenarios where you have like Southern players who have never like experienced snow, like seeing snow at a playoff game. I'm just saying it could be fun. It could be fun. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm looking forward to this though. I think that I was really, really skeptical at first, but I, I think this is good for the sport long term. Same here. Another thing we need to address is there were some attendance issues in week one. And to a degree, I understand it, especially if they're playing a cupcake. But some of it was just bad. Um, I know for one, listen, (laughs) Chip's going to be mad. Chip's going to be mad. But I'm just going to bring them up as an example. This is not to target you, Chip, if you're listening. But UCLA was one of the examples of a pretty much empty stadium. And here's the thing. I get it. I get that. The First of all, the students aren't even in school right now. They're on their break or whatever because they have the trimester system or something. I get that the stadium is far away from campus. I get that L.A. traffic sucks. I get that it was hot. But, I mean, this just kind of, I don't know. It just kind of paints a problem. It's something that needs to be fixed and not something that should just be ignored and accepted. For sure. I think it's like it's a bad look on the sport in general when you have such an iconic stadium like the Rose Bowl being completely empty on like the opening weekend of the year you know I'm not, I'm not saying it has to be packed or just completely to the brim like but it's getting to the point randy i think you said at one point you've seen like high school games with bigger attendance numbers than this it's like not even i'm games. not even exaggerating my local high school has higher attendance numbers than what we've seen it's wild um now obviously to be fair here it wasn't just ucla that had poor attendance rates one school that was thrown under the bus should we forget <laughs> Is Maryland now now NSB? What what do you think about these accusations you're seeing against Maryland's attendance rates? So first of all, I'd say the accusations are true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, not exactly not exactly what you'd expect someone to say coming up to the podium like that. But no, I mean I'm a season ticket holder, so I'm at the games. I'm not part of this problem. Uh, to you know, pat myself on the back a little bit. But that aside, I think you're you're starting to see more of a defined cultural divide as far as not necessarily which fan bases care as much, but which ones care enough to actually attend these smaller time games. Because I do think most of these attendance problem schools will still have at least a couple games per year that are pretty well attended. Yeah. Um, I think the bigger factor is just sort of, you know, in certain places, there's a, especially in pro heavy markets or pro saturated markets, there's this big drive to, you know, try and outcompete TV. Like, I genuinely think that a lot of the UCLA fans or Maryland fans that watch the game on TV yeah. would just straight up tell you they don't want to go to the stadium, they don't want to deal with traffic, they don't want to deal with ballpark prices on food, and all these other things, which, of course, you know, we would say as hardcore fans of the sport are ridiculous excuses, but, you know, to the general public, they might not be quite as ridiculous. So I think, really, the burden is going to be on schools like UCLA and Maryland to find ways to change those uh, conceptions about about what going to the game is like to try and draw in those fans because clearly the on field product uh, is not selling it at this point. Well, compared to- I will give my response to it now with the new playoff expansion. Now that you're not going to be kept out from out of conference losses, I think one of the things that I really hope to see is that there's less scheduled cupcakes, which means better games. Because I know that UCLA and Maryland. They show up for the actual good games. They will show up, especially later in the season when the students are actually in session for UCLA. So I think that's also going to be a big part of it is actually have good games. Um, 
And another thing for UCLA, me and Jimbo kind of talked about this in a DM, was like, literally, how do we fix this? And I've kind of come up with a little bit of a plan okay. for how we can fix UCLA. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> First of all, they need, an, they need an actual on-campus stadium. Even if it only seats about 55,000, I think that's about enough and what you should be able to expect from a respectable Power 5 program. It's about 55,000 and maybe room to like expand or bring in temporary seating if the game so calls for it. And maybe still keep the Rose Bowl for like the USC UCLA game late in the season. Um, I think also they need to maybe only schedule away games at the for the first three or four games of the season while the students are still away in their semi summer break or whatever until they get back to school. Only schedule away games or only schedule your cupcakes if, if you still have them at that time. UCLA is actually pretty good about only scheduling. I think like one cupcake a year, so that's part of it. But I think those are the big things that they really should do. Also, they really need to market the sport a little better to their fans because, like, at the end of the day, they need to market it as entertainment, just like any other form of entertainment, rather than its own spectacle, if that makes sense. And it's almost like, let's just, let's just face the facts. The West Coast has a different vibe than the Southeast and the Midwest. If you kind of market it, Billa, as this is the thing the Southeast and the Midwest are good at, and here, why don't you come watch it? They're not going to like it. Yeah. It just is what it is. But yeah. if you market it as, hey, this is pretty cool entertainment, we can be good at it too, I feel like they would have more success with that. For sure. And one thing I will say, one the thing that I think is going to hopefully save UCLA in the long run is when they join the Big Ten, I mean, this is going to be the destination vacation spot for every single Big Ten team not in L.A. You know, like as a Wisconsin fan, if I see that we're playing L.A., um, you know, later on when the season gets released, uh, yeah, I, I'm booking my flights. You know, I'm, I'm finding a hotel ASAP. I'm going to L.A. and so are probably 20, 30, maybe 40,000 other Badger fans. I, I think long term UCLA becomes this place for visiting fans in the Big Ten to effectively go on vacation and watch a football game. You know? Yeah, I agree. And again, the the Big Ten move is a good move. I know Chip hates the move, but I think it's a good move because you're going to ultimately see these big team, big name teams come to town. It's kind of a shame that the Pac-12 and the West Coast separate football identity, athletics identity is kind of going away. But mm -hmm. I mean, it just is what it is at this point, right? It is what it is. Big Ten Conference of Champions. Oh, it is now. Uh, it is now. And, and as for uh, as for building that on-campus stadium, I know things up in Westwood are a little tight, but I think there's a pretty large on-campus tennis complex they have. They could oh! probably just you know, <laughs> build a stadium there. Okay, unironically, un though, we were looking on Google Maps at UCLA's campus, and apparently they've got, like, a massive private golf course, like, just north of campus, like, five minutes away, that theoretically... State of California. Let's buy. repurpose it. Yeah, repurpose it. Build a whole, you know, you know, stadium district around there. Get some hotels. Get some bars, restaurants, things to do. Right. I'm just saying, man. Like, there's plenty. Of <laughs> but I'm saying, in order to do that, that's what I'm telling you. Is that in order to do that, you have to build it as inter an entertainment, entertainment district, not a football complex. Yeah, get some theater in there or something. But <laughs> I digress. We'll stop ragging on UCLA and start ragging on some other teams here. Um, Randy, I know we want to do a quick recap of Week One. There were. A ton of games to talk about. Did you want to highlight anything that stood out to you? I will say this weekend's games were actually amazing. Like, it really felt like college football is back, back. Because I know last year we didn't have COVID restrictions anymore, but, like, the games were – it was still, like, a muted version of the season. I mean, you could even tell based on who won the championship, right? <laughs> but this weekend's games was the ultimate introduction back, back into college football. We had a lot of amazing games with amazing finishes. And, honestly, for the most part, before we had the – Florida State LSU game. We were pretty blue balled on a couple of them. I know the backyard brawl was the game to kick everything off on Thursday night. And our special guest, NSB, the one, the only, was actually at the game. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, total last minute decision to get there. I didn't have a ticket in hand until about 45 minutes to kick off. But man, what a game. I mean, they, they came over the public address system and announced, you know, it was the highest attendance of any game in Pittsburgh sports history. So wow. for listeners, um, the Steelers are kind of a pretty, pretty big draw. So to outdraw like Steelers playoff games um, just highlights how awesome that game was. You had, I believe, six second half lead changes culminating in that game winning pick six for Pitt. So, um, yeah, just I was came home. 
ears were still ringing, you know, permanent hearing damage from that. But <laughs> absolutely, absolutely in a good way. College football is back, folks. There's no way around it. We had multiple uh, fourth quarter pick sixes just in that day alone. Because if you remember the Purdue, what was it? Purdue Penn State game yeah, yeah. that also had a fourth quarter pick six by Purdue, but Purdue ended up losing. Another blue ball, but that so was, was entertaining. I'm just saying, this fourth quarter pick sixes everywhere. This is not stuff you'll see in the NFL, right? Yeah. Now, each, each night offered something crazy. I mean, obviously, Thursday at the Backyard Ball was incredible. But Friday night, we also got a pretty insane upset. Old Dominion toppling Virginia Tech again. I mean, Oof. I know we kind of called it, but I didn't really think it would happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I kind of saw it happening. It's not that out of there. And here's the horrible thing. If you're Virginia Tech, they've got Old Dominion on the schedule for the next decade and consecutive home and homes. So this could be the beginning of something a little more than a uh, traditional road G5 game here. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake. I do have an award to give to Michigan State. I'm going to bless them this week with the this was their Super Bowl award. Congratulations. On beating the Western Michigan Broncos 35-13. to 13. It was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Michigan State fans are so hyped about Mel Tucker. They don't need Kenneth Walker Tuck anymore. Coleman. They're a solid Tuck program. Coleman. It doesn't matter that they had a one-score game versus a group of five team in the fourth quarter, and they struggled. This was their Super Bowl. Congratulations, Michigan State. Shouts out. Um, I guess, are we handing out the awards? I can I can hand out my, uh, that was their Super Bowl a word if you'd like. Um, go ahead, go this, ahead. This might be a controversial one, but I'm just going to, I need to, I need to talk trash here. Uh, my award this week goes to Iowa t- winning their Super Bowl Oof. over South Dakota State. And there's a reason for this, folks. Now, everyone is clowning on Iowa, but you have to understand in the heat of the moment, like at the game, all right, the fans in those state in, in those stands in that stadium at Kinnick were losing their mind at how, at, at how good they perceived Iowa as being. Uh, of this, you know, real tough physical defense causing safeties left and right. And I'll concede they have a decent defense, obviously. But good Lord, that offense, you're not going to win a single Big Ten game with an offense that bad. My problem with it is that they kind of take this almost too much in stride. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. If you don't like all those punts, then you don't like Big Ten football. And I get that they're, like, joking. But it's almost like an unself-aware version of joking. Yeah. It's hard to describe yeah, how I, I feel about it because, like, y'all should y'all should be extremely concerned about this, but you're not. And I saw the same thing with Michigan State fans is that, honestly, like, they were so unconcerned with what they saw to a kind of worrying degree. I would be worried if I saw that game. Yeah. And it's like they're cheering for things. Like, I saw them cheering during the game, and I see fans cheering for things that I feel like when you're playing a cupcake, you shouldn't be cheering exactly. for. Like, I would see, like... I would see a fan of either of Iowa say something like, incomplete, woo! <laughs> and it's like, should you really cheer that the other team had an incompletion on third down? Or should you cheer that your team did something good? It's like they're not cheering about the things uh, that their team does that are positive. Yeah. They're just happy to scrape out a win versus, well, it should be a cupcake. Yeah, Iowa, it's it's a meme team. Uh, but Turtle, did point, you have anyone to yeah. give you to this week? Perhaps I'm, I'm traumatized from past experience, but I feel like Iowa has kind of proven time and time again you can't really take away from their early season woes because I feel like this is pretty much a consistent theme under Brian Ferentz. You know they're going to struggle in these early games. They'll pop off randomly in some freaky night game and then <laughs> sneak their way back to 9 or 10 wins at the end of the year. So definitely some signs for concern from them, but... I would hesitate to overreact to this one game. Yeah, yeah. It just is what a Big Ten football, man. It's a different breed, right? It is. All right, so to quickly go over, I'm going to go over quickly. Let's go over quickly three games that really exemplify what college football is about and what we really mean by college football is back-back. And these were three games that all had crazy endings. Utah, Florida, LSU, Florida State, and North Carolina, App State. With Utah, Florida, that game-winning pick was just – it was just great. I don't even know what else to say about it because had he not picked it off, Utah would have gotten the chip shot field goal and it would have gone to overtime. I'm going to be honest. I missed that entire game. Like, what exactly happened there at the end, like, in terms of momentum? Like, was it looking In terms of momentum, Utah was driving down the field. They looked like they had a good chance to score – um, but well, they had a passing play on like on third. I forgot what down it was, but they had three or five yards to go into passing play. They were down three. 
But instead of an incompletion, it got picked off and scooped up by a Florida defender. And so they can't kick the cake shot or the chip shot field goal in order to send it to overtime. Man. Rest in peace. Uh, what I did catch LSU though, Florida yeah, State. was LSU Florida State. I mean, oh, dude, that was great. Just like So embarrassing. Well, for me, what I was I thinking... That's the, that's the canonical ending, though, right? You've kind of got this controversial ending play, which, you know, is, of course, by the book, but it's controversial as to whether or not they would have even been able to get another snap. And then, of course, they use that opportunity and score. It kind of feels like justice in a way. It does. It kind of does. But, no, dude, if you go and, like, rewatch the last, like, literally, like, 30 seconds of real time of that game, I was thinking about this, Randy, like... That kind of stuff just doesn't happen in the NFL. Like, this is such a uniquely college football thing. Like, the entire sequence of events of the touchdown followed by the missed field goal and, like, just the shock and awe and, like, the momentum swings left and right. It was just insane. Like, it's just, it's so, it's so college football, you know? (laughs) I will say, it's almost like Florida State wanted to lose that game because I remember, I think it was in the second quarter, instead of kicking a fourth, a field goal on fourth and two, they went for it and didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately would have been what, I guess, won them the game that last LSU 99-yard drive wouldn't have mattered. Also, on the one-yard line with a minute and 20 seconds to go, they not only ran the ball instead of just kneeling it, they ran a toss play, and that's like the most dangerous running play I could ever imagine. And he, of course, he drops it and fumbles it, and the LSU defender picks it up. But it's like, come on, why would you? Why are they taking these needless risks? They almost cost themselves the game. They are lucky LSU is as discombobulated as they are in their first game under Brian Kelly. I think kind of entertained by Florida. I think Florida went from unranked to. 12th, I believe, the AP poll just came out, and then obviously people are discussing whether Florida State should be ranked. I'm, you know, not a big believer in weak rolling overreactions, and I think the Florida schools still have quite a bit to prove that these games... I will disagree with you on regular Florida. On regular Florida, I I know it's funny to call them that. (laughs) No, I mean, okay, no, seriously, I think Utah is still a great team. I think Utah is still going to be contending for the Pac-12 championship, and I think Florida beat a great team. I don't think that makes Utah worse, and I still think Florida like deserve. They looked good. They looked competent, and I've made this point. I've made this point a couple of times now about how Florida teams they come out with that enthusiasm with the mm-hmm. first year coach. They're ready. And they have the talent to make it happen. It's true. This could be the year that they are. And also, North Carolina at State. I yes, want to talk about that one very to. quickly. The ending was crazy because again, this is another case of a team being incredibly risky for no reason and shooting themselves in the foot. If you remember, what North Carolina did was they recovered an onside kick and ran it back for a touchdown when all they had to do was just go down and then kneel the clock out and they win. But instead, their player goes for the glory, scores. They had to kick it back off, and App State has what forty seconds to drive it down the field. Yep. They do. They score. And they have a chance to go for two and tie it up, but of course they don't get it, so it doesn't. The what led to it doesn't really matter, but it's still just needless risks that almost cost them the game again. Well, and it's it's like so unique to college football because you're dealing with guys who are like I'm assuming the guy who scooped it was probably like 19, and just like it, I just imagine he was probably in the heat of the moment, like not thinking at all. I should just you know go out of bounds or just fall to the ground. Just go for it. You <laughs> like he wanted the touchdown it. so badly, not thinking like. This could actually technically screw me over, <laughs> you know. But yeah, what an insane game! I mean, I'm looking here at the box score, dude. Appalachian State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter alone. That's just insane. Still lost. And still. Lost. Gene Chizik. They have Gene Chizik as their defensive coordinator at North Carolina, which is pretty funny. But I have to say, going for two, even though I'm I'm a fan of a school that also scored something like 40 points in a single quarter against the big name and went for two at the end to win it and lost, I must say, still the right decision. Almost always going to be the right decision. You don't want to extend that game against a school where the talent gap is that large. So hats off to App State for playing their hearts out. But yeah, North Carolina, it feels like, deserved to lose that after making all those blunders at the end. They pulled off the upset against them, that's for sure. North Carolina pulled off that upset. All right, so. If you watch Mac Brown, you'd think so with the way he was dancing in the locker room. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, I need yeah, to call out to Auburn. Go. I need to call out Auburn. I saw the Twitter video where they were straight up, like, they had literal champagne showers and dance parties and were, like, screaming in the locker room as if they just won the national championship. We literally do not celebrate winning the national championship as hard as they celebrated beating Mercer. <laughs> 
Anyway, I digress. Let's move on to next week's games. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. All right, so we have a lot to talk about for the upcoming week, of course. And, Randy, at 11 o'clock, right in the morning on Saturday, I know there's a game that is near and dear to your heart. Just take it away. All right, Alabama, Texas. I really hope we blow the doors off of them because they've done a few things that have bothered me on the last week, over the last week of social media. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just fan accounts. I'm talking about like official Longhorn accounts with the blue check mark, right? And it's things such as one, for, one of the things Texas did was they put our band in the worst possible spot and didn't give them nearly enough seats. So the band was just like, well, we literally don't, we don't have enough seats. We can't go. Like we, we basically, they gave us such a little allotment to say without saying don't come. So our band had to pull out a going. And it's like one of those things that's like the band is a really cool part of college football. I understand it's not like the biggest deal in the world. I get it. It's a small part. But I'm saying whenever you slowly chip away at the edges of little things that make college football great that individually aren't a big deal, mm-hmm. over time you're going to deteriorate the quality of the product and the fat cats that you're making accommodation and space for aren't going to want to spend the money because the product's going to start sucking eventually, right? Agreed. But anyway, we kind of pointed that out and I'm like, wow, I guess we're not going to have to be able to have the band. The Texas Barstool account literally said something like, they responded to that and said, respectfully, eat shit. And then it's like, come on, that's so condescending and unnecessary. And then you have Texas fans just randomly replying to that was 711, 711, because that's again? their record against us. Oh, is that that's their is? record okay. against us, their dude, overall record like against us. Civil War, come on, dude, this is like ancient times. What, what was the last time? Alabama that's what I'm saying. And then they have, they have fans going on about stuff like such as... Here's an example of something. They got they literally drop phrases such as, "Well, you're just not used to our academic excellence and how we do things around here." Oh, and they talk about the program with such like grandiose verbosity. I don't know. It's just yeah. crazy to me because it's a five and seven team talking crap. Like, come on. I mean, they, like they literally view the Alabama program as beneath Texas's program. They literally lost to Kansas last year. I mean, I think it's just crazy. The thing has been kind of hilarious, and it's been, I think, consistent with Sark as it has been with with Herman. Texas really has not done anything to correct this. It's just the culture gap. We talk a lot about the talent. I gotta say, I gotta say, I gotta say, I gotta say. I'm sorry. Okay, Sark literally made a comment. He literally made the comment that said, "Well, sometimes culture wins over talent." Your culture sucks. It sucks. Okay, I'm sorry, NSP. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm a rabid dog, so it's all good. I know. Yeah, you got a huge stake in this game, but the, the big, the big <laughs> thing with with Sark is they're just we've seen consistently they're having these culture issues. We know that Texas always has exactly or roughly the same caliber of talent as a team like an Alabama or a Georgia or a And M, which I know Texas fans will hate to hear me make that comparison or Ohio State. I mean, a And M is a better program than them, honestly. But the, the biggest thing right now under these past two administrations for Texas, and I'm definitely going to lump them together because I think the results have been similar, is you're seeing these locker room problems. You're seeing players getting off-field issues. You're seeing videos leak out of you know coaches berating players on the team bus. Like It doesn't make sense why, with the amount of money and the amount of support and the number of fans that this program brings, that they keep doing this year in and year out. Despite all of that, I still think Texas will slightly cover, but I don't think they stand a chance to win this game. What's the spread overall? I do right think now? I do think some of the the betting public here is is kind of underrating the talent that Texas has. But that being said, I just don't see them having a shot to win a game like this because I don't think they have the culture to win a game like this and stay cohesive. A note I would like to make is that Texas's players, starters, are literally guys that didn't couldn't make it on our team. Like Julio Buildingsley was stay in Saban's doghouse. He transferred to Texas. Ajay Hall stayed in Saban's doghouse, transferred to Texas. Well, now he's kicked off the team. But I'm just making a point that like they literally took not only the guys that couldn't earn playing time, but the guys that had horrible attitudes that stayed in Saban's doghouse. Like they're building their team off talented players that have bad attitudes. Is this the term Saban's doghouse? I've never heard this before. Is this a common slang? We use it all the time. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. Would you consider Talia to have been in in Saban's doghouse? Nah, Talia was never in Saban's doghouse. He just didn't have the talent. He didn't win a job. (laughs) We never heard anything negative about Talia. That was what I was curious about. Is just is there is there a distinction between 
players that left the Alabama program, you know, and behind the I scenes. I mean, look, it's Bama. Here's the thing is, we're Bama, and we appreciate that there's a lot of players that are going to come here, and they want we appreciate that they want to compete for a spot, but ultimately not everybody's going to be able to play at Alabama. So we appreciate that they're willing to come here, and if it doesn't work out, it's either they're not going to get playing time, they are encouraged to seek out a transfer if that's what their priority is. Interesting. Yeah, and that's okay. That doesn't mean anything necessarily negative about them. I think I would be much more negative on the Bama program. I know we whiffed on Jalen Hurts that first transfer <laughs> cycle, but we got we got Talia, so we went one for two on that. You know, not Saban's doghouse, but just you know, <laughs> you know, the uh, happy divorce. Uh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Another game I would like to talk about, keeping it in the SEC, is South Carolina, Arkansas. Arkansas just had the big win over Cincinnati. And um, South Carolina has looked competent. These are two up-and-coming SEC programs. So I think there's actually a lot more on the line than first meets the eye when you look at this because it's ultimately going to be a statement game for we're coming back in a way. Mm-hmm. So I'll be very interested to watch this. Yeah, shout out to Hedgebrand one for Spencer Rattler. this one. Spencer Rattler did look good last week, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this one too. Um, so I would actually t- kind of disagree on Rattler. I think oh. he threw like one touchdown to two picks last week. Listen, man, my um, bar for quarterback play is so low that when I see someone like Spencer Rattler, <laughs> I'm impressed. Okay. Uh, GM5, right? GM5. Is that, is that well, GM5. I think this could be a good segue for, for our next Jimbo game. has unironically watched Spencer Petrus. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's true. But yeah, no. I, I thought I thought. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I, I could give a quick preview about Wisconsin playing Washington State. This Saturday, two thirty. Now, listen. I know we're seventeen point favorites right now, but I am kind of nervous. But I'm just going to say this: last week, Graham Mertz, fourteen for sixteen, something like two hundred yards, touchdown. He looked good. That's all I'm going to say. He looked good. Well, I didn't want, so I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> just keep an eye out. Just keep an eye out for Graham. That's all I'm going to say. Listen, I thought I never. I as I've I've clowned on Graham Mertz a little bit in the past. But I honestly, you've kind of convinced me, okay, after talking with you, that he wasn't the problem. I think him and Spencer Petrus both have a thing going on. Well, they're not awful quarterbacks. It's just that their offensive scheme was that bad that it made them look worse than they are and that they can otherwise be decent game managers and sometimes make plays, just not make plays all the time. Exactly, exactly. Obviously, there are much more important games happening at 2.30 on Saturday, such as... Looking Tennessee. Forward, yeah, ranked matchup Pittsburgh. here. Pittsburgh. Tennessee versus Pittsburgh. I hope Pittsburgh beats the crap out of them. I know that we all, like, cheered against Pittsburgh, and I almost kind of feel like that last week. We didn't... It's not that we were cheering against Pittsburgh. It's just that we had to because the phrase, yeah. eat, excrement, pit, yeah. Yeah. fill in your own word there. It's just way too fun to say, and it's way too great of a saying for us to not cheer for West Virginia in that game. So it's nothing personal, Pitt fans. It's just, you know, we have to say it, right? But now I want Pittsburgh to beat the crap out of Tennessee. I think Tennessee is up and coming, unfortunately, but I just hope they put a stop to it. I think this game's really interesting, not so much because of narratives about the game itself. Like, I don't think there's any kind of bad blood between um, Tennessee's coaching staff and Narduzzi or anything like that. I'm just more interested to see what the national media does because I think the winner of this game pretty much almost in- immediately becomes the dark horse contender to win their conference. Obviously, you know, Pitt's got to deal with a Clemson size problem and Tennessee's got an Alabama and Georgia size problem um, in their way. But I do think for both of these teams, this is a huge springboard opportunity to kind of start getting that national conversation again. I agree. I think if Hendon Hooker has a big game for Tennessee, that there's he's going to springboard himself into the September Heisman watch. I mean, that said, it looks like Tennessee is favored by six and a half points. Uh, to me, guys, I mean, I think Tennessee really? probably ekes this one out, but do you think Pittsburgh finds a way to win this? I mean, I think I so. Straight up. I take Pitt straight up. I know some people thought they played a little bit sloppy, but I think it, you know, they were definitely. Um, West Virginia, rather, would have been the beneficiary of quite a bit of uh, good fortune, good bounces of the ball, and so, such. So, bro, it's I week do... one. Who doesn't look sloppy? Alabama. Yes. <laughs> well, some <laughs> might say Tennessee here, but you know Tennessee played Ball State, whereas Pitt played what seemed to be a significantly improved West Virginia That's team true. over That's last true. year. So, 
I think that win's going to age pretty well for Pitt, and I think I think they'll be able to squeeze one out here against a pretty good Tennessee team. Uh, speaking of squeezing one out like. here, we have to talk about El Asico. Iowa State versus Iowa, 3 o'clock. Uh, Iowa might be the worst team in football right now. I, I'm just going to assume <laughs> Iowa State wins this, but for some reason, Iowa's favored by 3.5 points. I mean, what the heck do we have on our hands here, folks? I think Iowa State's going to win. I actually really like Iowa State in this game because I know it's technically supposed to be a rebuilding year for Iowa State, but they looked competent. I'll give them that. They looked competent. I forgot the receiver's name, but they actually have a receiver that looked pretty decent. Oh, this insane. game's at Kinnick. Correct me if I'm wrong. This game is the home it game is for Iowa. Yep. I just It's one of those things where I feel like we, we come into this game every single year finding every single way that Iowa has looked, you know, subpar some way in their non-conference slate. Their offense has been laughable. They've done something ridiculous against, on paper, inferior opponents, and they just come out and completely control this game. Like There are a few games that Iowa plays per year where they just completely exert their control over the game, and I feel like this has to be... If you're an Iowa State fan, you have to be worried that this is one of them. Is that your excuse for uh, last year's Iowa-Maryland game? (laughs) If you can call it that. Um, but I think, I, 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 yeah, I just, I think this one I would stay away from if you're a betting person with a 10 foot pole, but I do see Iowa still finding Listen, it. It's college football. If you're a betting person, you should stay away from every college football so game true. with a 10 foot pole. So That's just how it is. <laughs> I know also at two thirty, NSB, do you want to briefly talk about the Maryland Charlotte game? Yeah. So I'm going to be traveling to the smallest stadium in college football, uh, which is, of course, Jerry Richardson Stadium for Charlotte. Uh, Maryland at Charlotte. Maryland has a little bit of a rough record in these road G5 games. So for those that really enjoyed Tech ODU, might be something worth tuning in for. But Oof. the way Charlotte you know, has already lost an FCS game, shouldn't be much of a challenge. But yeah, it'll be a neat knows. road game experience. Charlotte's program, Charlotte's program is unfortunately just kind of in shambles right now. They really need to fire Will Healy, and I feel bad because I know a couple of Charlotte fans. We know JMT and the other Charlotte fans, yeah. and they're very nice people. They're very enthusiastic about the program, but it just isn't where it needs to be, unfortunately. It's not getting any better for them because next year they move to the American, so they go from probably the worst group of five conference to the best, so they really have to figure it out, and I agree it starts with firing their head coach, Healy. Well said. Um, shall we move right. on then to uh, later on, maybe six o'clock schedule? Random six games? o'clock. Yeah. All right, Kentucky, it. Florida. Kentucky, Florida. This has been a very interesting series as of late. Um, Florida, they just beat Utah. They look every bit the part. Anthony Richardson looks good. Kentucky, they still have Will Levis, who actually threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns last week. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be a very interesting game. I feel like no matter whoever wins this game is probably – I don't know if top five is the right answer. No. Top ten, though. But, okay, if Kentucky wins this game, I could see them legitimately being top five after this game. No way. You think so? But I mean, I'm saying stuff top ten is a better ballpark for the winner of this game. It's similar to the Tennessee-Pittsburgh game. Well, whoever wins this game is going to start becoming a dark horse for the conference. Uh, in Florida's case, they wouldn't be a dark horse. They'd just be the favorite, right? But I'm just saying, like, whoever wins this game is going to generate so much hype. It's going to be very interesting to look forward to. And I think these are both solid teams with solid programs. So we're probably going to see a good game. It's a game to watch. Fingers Sounds crossed. Sounds good to me. Fingers crossed. All right. Uh, speaking of good games, uh, later on at night, like, actually, really late at night, we're talking Pac-12 after dark, we have number nine Baylor versus number 21 BYU. And what I two favorite Pac-12 teams. Yeah, I think this will be a pretty good game. Listen, I'm I'm very high on Baylor this season. Um, last week they like annihilated their opponent, and I know it was Albany, but they won 69 to 10. 69. That's nice. We have to admit. Uh, <laughs> but but seriously though, I think Baylor like I I love Dave Aranda. I've said this before. I think he's like the most underrated coach in the nation. And listen, we know that under Dave Aranda, Baylor is always going to have a great defense. But the thing that's kind of prevented them from being a truly elite team, like a playoff caliber team, is having a great offense. The thing is, I really like their new quarterback, uh, Blake Shapin. He's a sophomore. He started late last year, uh, beat Oklahoma State and Ole Miss in their NY6 Bowl. And he's kind of like, he's kind of got, you know, all, all cylinders firing right now. I, I, I think their, their quarterback play has really improved this year. And... 
I, I realize BYU isn't like the greatest opponent, but if they can get a good win on the road, I think this is another case of this could really springboard them into being the favorites in the Big 12. So game to look out for. Should be fun after dark. I know Baylor did lose a lot of players last year. So I'll be curious to see if they can have like a plug-and-play system. Um, I mean, it, I just struggle to 100% be on board with the fact that Baylor, of all teams, can have a plug-and-play system. I know you're a big Dave Aranda fan. He yeah. was a Wisconsin coordinator, and he was very good at his job. And again, I just want to point out, I made this point last week, that I have a, I, he's another shining example of how the new move isn't group of five head coach that was successful to Power 5 program. But successful coordinator in a Power 5 program, straight to Power 5 head coach. Mm-hmm. For sure. It'll be really interesting, not to mention this is also a future Big 12 conference game starting next year when oh, BYU yes. makes the jump. Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, a lot's been said about Baylor, a really strong season last year, obviously very much in the playoff race. I think we got to take a little bit of a harder look at BYU and what they could do if they win this game, and especially if they win it convincingly this year. I mean, their schedule sets up very nicely. They've got neutral game against Notre Dame coming up. I believe they also have a road game at Arkansas, unless I'm mistaken. That is uh, it's actually home, home against Arkansas. Home against Arkansas. So you're talking about a team where, you know, group of five teams don't typically get to schedule that many top 10, top 15 type teams in a year. I think it's safe to say if BYU wins three or maybe even just two of those games, we're talking about a team that could be insert itself into the playoff conversation. Obviously, certainly under the new model, but even under the, the current four-team model, mm-hmm. you're looking for a group of five team that, that has that playoff ceiling. I think BYU's got to be on your list. So I'm really excited for this uh, game that I'll fall asleep at halftime of. <laughs> yeah. I actually, in, the, in that same vein, I actually think Baylor would be in a similar position if they were to win this game. They have a, I'm not going to say an extremely favorable schedule, but they play a lot of good teams, but they don't play any super hyper elite teams. Like they don't have a Georgia or a Bama or an Ohio State on their schedule, right? So. It's it's very interesting to see because like their toughest game is technically going to be Oklahoma, but that's a very winnable game, especially for, sure. for it to be your toughest game to be Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Agreed. So yeah, this should be a good one. And, and like you said, NSB falling asleep at halftime. That's kind of my goal for this weekend. I think is to be able to actually stay up until like past midnight to watch this entire masterpiece of a game. But we'll see. Um, before we close off this week's episode, we want to do uh, our new tradition of sharing each other's top tens. I know NSB has prepared his own top ten list. Um, we just wanted to go through them real quick and you know share our thoughts, share some notes, and uh, yeah, kind of wrap it up with that. So I guess I can get things started off. We're going to go into setting order here, one through ten. Uh, surprise, surprise to no one. Number one for me. It's still Alabama. I mean, what you said, Randy, I know it's week one and I know it's Utah State, but like, dude, it was like 41 to nothing at halftime. Like, there is no rust for Alabama. They're already in playoff form. Like, let's face it, they're the best. I hate to, well, I don't hate to agree, but <laughs> I can't I can't be the one to say it, right? Of course. But it does seem like it's two teams, maybe three teams, and then everybody else this year. As always. I mean, I'm not going to name those three teams, no, no, but no. I'm just saying. That's, that's our job here. Uh, that's that's NSB's job here as he reveals his number one. I'm going to stay with the group and say Alabama here. I mean, we really don't have that much information about any of the other, well, any of the other possible number ones that would unseat Alabama here. I would say you can sure. certainly make a case for some other teams, but it's a sort of a you have to prove something against Alabama. They get the benefit of the doubt here, and – Utah State could not prove anything against them, so they stay number one. Um, All right, so yeah. I'm just going to go go ahead and just tell me. Let's go ahead and just get this out of the way. Do y'all both have Georgia as number two? No. Oh, oh okay. Well, Ohio State in yep. that spot. Go ahead. So y'all both have Ohio State? Well, and for one reason only. I just I can't knock them for defeating number five Notre Dame. Like, I get what Georgia did was impressive, and I get that Ohio State had kind of a sloppy victory, but like – I don't know, man. It just feels wrong. It feels wrong dropping them after they beat the number five team in the nation. You know? I think I, I tend to agree. I think we're, we're talking about caliber of teams here. And I think when you're talking about Oregon, you're talking about a team that's had a lot of flux and turnover. Um, certainly a lot more than Notre Dame did, which kind of just kept everything in-house after Brian Kelly left and just elevated Freeman to the job. 
Oregon, you had a lot more question marks coming into this game. And I think, you know, them dropping to, I believe, unranked now, they just completely dropped out after being number 11. I think that has to be taken into account as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people, you know, go on and on about margin of victory, but, you know, Ohio State won a playoff light game and Georgia played a team that nobody really knew that much. We don't really know how good Oregon is going to be. And let's face it, they have Bo Nix, who is just a turnover machine and makes very amateur mistakes. It just is. We don't know how good Oregon is. We don't know how high quality of a win that's going to be. Oregon does have talent, but we're just going to see how that win shapes out. We'll see. Um, so number three, what do you yeah. got? So of course, then at number three, I do have Georgia. Of course, I mean, obviously, they they looked insanely impressive. Um, and, and really for me, man, like it, my top three, it, it kind of doesn't matter. Like these three teams are pretty much locked in in the playoffs. It seems like they're going to play each other at some point. We'll find out who's best then. But for now, yeah, it's it's Georgia three for me. Sorry, I forgot to hit the mute button. Uh, same here. Yeah, Georgia, absolutely number three. Um, Pretty much status quo from where we thought they were at the start of the year. Very impressive win. Like I said, I just the only reason they did not move ahead is again because of who Ohio State played. But beyond that, yeah, I think it's pretty clear we've got this is sort of your one A tier is these three teams at the top, and Georgia is in that tier for sure. And All right, it's important to bring that up because as I mentioned, my number four team. I want to make it clear, like four and onward in my mind, we still really don't have a clue. We really don't know who's actually the fourth best team in the country, but. I will throw my hat in the ring and put in Baylor. Yeah, I'm going there. I'm saying the Baylor Bears are the fourth best team in the country, and I think they're going to show that at BYU this uh, this weekend. They're going to have an insane defense, great offense. It's a complete team this year. I'm calling that right now, and I think they're the Big 12 favorite, and I think the Big 12 champion makes the playoffs this year. So give me Baylor at four. You are a big Aranda fan, I can tell. I am. <laughs> All right, and SB, who you got? Yeah, it's an especially bold choice. I'm going a little more vanilla and saying Michigan here at number four. Um, I think they did fly under the radar a little bit with all the other you know big teams making some noise in their respective games, but uh, very impressive. You know, obviously the quality of their opponent not that good, but and they still have that quarterback drama looming over their head. But I'd say for me, they're at the head of that sort of one B group of teams that are very much you know nipping at the heels of one A again. They had a slightly tougher out at the end of the year having to play in Columbus, but definitely not a team you can write off at this point from anything. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and that's why I have Michigan at number five. Um, they're, they're also a complete team. I, I'd probably rank them higher if Ohio State didn't exist, but that game in Columbus does worry me for Michigan. But regardless, they are a solid team to look out for. All right, sounds good. NSB, who you got? Number five. I got I got the Aggies here. Um, uh, very, very wait, you wait, you rank Utah State that highly? <laughs> this is oh man, this is the type of pick that I know is going to raise some eyebrows. Uh, yeah, I know it gets beaten to death, but you know, as far as saying this is the year, I mean, their defense looks really good. We know that that was one of their big weaknesses last year. Um. You know, again, still have a lot to prove. They've got App State this weekend, so we're definitely going to learn a lot more about how, just how good Texas A&M's defense is this week against that crazy App State offense. But, yes, I do have them at my number five spot. Just I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm going to be honest. They looked, I guess, I don't know if rusty is the right word, but they didn't look like they had an it factor that they're going to desperately need to be top five. I think it's mostly hmm. quarterback play. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Um, Go ahead. Number six. Another team to look for. Number six for me is the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, listen, I'm, I was quite skeptical skeptical of them entering this season, but the more I think about it, they had a pretty good showing against UTEP last week, and looking at their schedule, it's it's very backloaded. Um, so I think they're going to have plenty of time to kind of figure themselves out, you know, against teams like Kent State, Nebraska, Kansas State, TCU. They have a lot of easy wins to ease themselves into the season, and I think by the end of the year, uh, when they're playing teams like Baylor and Oklahoma State, um, they're going to be firing on all cylinders. And other than Baylor, I think this is a team that you know has the highest chance of actually winning the Big 12 and thus making the playoffs. So I think Oklahoma at 6 is a fairly safe call. They should stay at 6 for quite some time, too, because frankly, no one's going to challenge them probably until Baylor plays them like in November. I know people, people are going to be so tired of hearing me say this by the end of the season. <laughs> but again, Brett Venables, Brent Venables. Venables. Yeah. 
coordinator, power five coordinator to power five head coach. Great coach. It's the move nowadays. I'm just telling you, he's going to end up being fine. They're not going to take a step back. I think Oklahoma is going to be great. Go ahead, NSB. Who you got? All these great success stories like Brent Venables, Mike Loxley. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Slip that one in there um, under the, <laughs> the radar. Uh, totally incognito. No, um, same deal here. Got Oklahoma at number six. Um, unlike Jimbo, of course, I actually had them as my favorite to win the Big 12. Um, even with a new head coach, I think their talent level is really good. I think they're showing some good signs of progression here in year one. So I do have them at number six. Just, of course, on the outside looking in on that sure. playoff. Sure. We'll see. All right. Number seven. Uh, at number seven, this gets this is gonna be actually controversial, but I still believe in them. I'm going Ole Miss. I'm still on the lane train. I know they looked kind of crappy against Troy last week. They only won 28 to 10 at home. Uh, but listen, it was week one. A lot of rust, you know, breaking in, you know, get, getting the getting the uh, you know the wrinkles out and whatnot. Um, and again, they have a very easy first half of the year schedule. I think they're still gonna be like seven and one at some point and making a run late in the season. They're gonna get momentum. They're kind of rusty now, but give Lane time. He's going to get things sorted out. Trust me. I think Lane Kiffin, I'm not going to say he caught lightning in a bottle, but it's very hard to repeat what he just did, especially when teams like Arkansas look even better. Um, He can improve the team and still have two more losses than he did last year. It's just going to be really tough. That's fair. I feel like Ole Miss and Michigan State were kind of two sides of the same coin last year. They went on a really good run, but, you know, obviously against the truly elite teams, it kind of showed that, you know, perhaps they did catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle, but they're still both, I think, definitely in the top 20 consensus. I don't think you can really argue against that going into the season. My number seven, I have the Clemson Tigers. I know they struggled a little bit early uh, against Georgia Tech, but obviously they just completely overpowered them there in that second half um you know last year of course they're kind of in that same vein as ohio state to where two losses to them is devastating but i do think they'll be back this year atop of the acc unfortunately hmm. and back in that playoff contention though i could see them losing two games again this year i still think that offense has a lot of questions to answer especially after last night i will say that I think Clemson is number seven if they go ahead and bench DJ Uyunglele. I'm no longer, well, I never was, but I'm definitely no longer an Uyunglever. <laughs> an Uyunglever. Because he just doesn't look, okay, he's so inaccurate and has the worst ball placement. He makes it to where, like, even on a five-yard simple route where your playmaker is supposed to just be able to catch and make a play, he can't make a play because he has to reach for the ball every time, mm-hmm. and they end up getting tackled way before they should, or he just has he has zero pocket awareness. He just gets hit uh, seemingly out of nowhere in ways where he should have really seen that coming. I don't know. He just doesn't have it, and they really need to bench him for Clay, Kate, what's his name, Cade Klubnik, because on that final drive, Cade Klubnik looked every bit the part, and it looks like it's only a matter of time. Yeah. And if it's only a matter of time, why wait? Why wait until DJU screws up the season with horrible play to make the move? I totally agree. I think with a good quarterback, they will be elite uh, because their defense looked elite. So all they need is just a good offense to make up for that, and they'll, they'll be in the playoff conversation. Um, keeping it in the ACC at number eight, I will preview my favorite to win the conference. This might surprise some people. I've got Miami. I know, I know. But listen, they won 70-13 to last week against Bethune-Cookman, which I realize, not a great school. But if you're putting up 70 points, man, in week one, something must be going right. And looking at their schedule, I, I, I realize that, you know, they, they, they got to get, get plastic they got to get past Clemson at some point, but I think we're going to learn a lot more about them when they play at Texas A&M on September 17th, just a couple uh, weeks away. I think Miami has kind of a legit shot of beating Texas A&M because, in my mind, Texas A&M is very overrated. And uh, if they can do that, I don't know, man. They'll be in the playoff conversation one way or another. I mean, we'll see. I'll, I'll see what I'm not a big Cristobal believer. I mean, he's a great recruiter, he but his on-field coaching thus far has left a lot to be desired. But we'll see. We'll see. Turtle, who you got? We'll see. Is this the part where I put a trigger warning for any Alabama fans listening? Because I know oh, I got. God. Oh my God. All right, here you go. Don't tell me it's Auburn. They low down. <laughs> oh no! There's no. Way. 
Owls at number eight, which I know very controversial, very very controversial. But look, Ball State FBS school, not you know the same as some of these uh, FCS schools that a lot of these teams are getting credit for beating. Um, and fifty nine to ten, even more dominant on the stat sheet. And listen. Whether you like it or not, they do have the type of QB that can take them on one of these deep runs in the year, as horrifying as it is for SEC West fans to hear. Mm-hmm. Look, um, I will give them this credit is that they have generally actually looked decently improved. They had a decent year last year, and Hendon Hooker is very good. So, I mean, if you think they're going to go on a run, then I can't, you know, give your opinion for you. <laughs> putting them ahead of the more established group. I'd say this is kind of where you're getting into like your tier two, tier one C maybe if you're being generous, but definitely they've been an interesting team to watch. Cause again, people didn't pay them that much attention week one, but they quietly went out and did exactly what you need to do. If you were a top 10 team. So True. I'm going to give them those, that those props at this point. True. All right. Number nine. Who you got? Number nine. It, this, this actually pains me to say this because I am I'm a huge hater of this team and I'm a huge hater of their coach. I'm a huge hater of their city, their state, Minnesota their region. Believe it or not, no, I I've got that Roosevelt West. I've got USC at number nine. Oh, um, and here's the reason: the Pac-12 looked abysmal last weekend. I mean, they 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 really looked bad, and I don't see anyone in the Pac-12 who really poses a serious threat to USC. Um, it seems like they're the only competent program in their entire conference. And frankly, man, I think they're just going to run away with it at this point. I don't think anyone challenges them. I don't think they really suffer any embarrassing losses. I think SC might actually be a playoff team at the end of this year. Hate to say it. Uh, come on, Jimbo. Here's the thing. I can see it, but I don't think they stand a chance of advancing beyond that first round of the playoff. Even if they get in, I think they're like a 12-1 and type of team, benefiting largely from a, a weakened Pac-12. And I just don't think they I agree. show out very well. I know that they played Rice, but ultimately they actually looked competent. They looked confident and competent, which is more than I expected to see out of year one head coach at a brand new program that was otherwise extremely sloppy. I mean, I know it was Rice, right? But they did have two defensive touchdowns, and they won something like 66-14. to So if that's your prediction, that is what you need to see for them to be able to hold on to that. Sad to say. All right, who do you got at number nine, NSB? You're going to love this. Got the Wisconsin Badgers. No way, dude. Holy crap. That's the kiss of death. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, they played in FCS school week one. We know this, but they did shut them out. And in my mockery of Illinois State, I did actually take a little bit of time to dig into the nerd stats, which I'll stay spare those folks on this podcast from. But suffice it to say, I was impressed enough by Wisconsin's defense doing what they did against not really a bad FCS school. Um, shutouts always very impressive. I will say this. They can drop very quickly out of my top 10 if Mertz <laughs> returns back to his very pedestrian numbers from last year. But if he stays doing anything similar to what he did in week one, they're going to continue to ride in that top 10 spot. I will quickly say this about Illinois State is that they are always, I watch the FCS playoffs, and they are always one of those FCS teams that is, they, they typically go to like the final, or what is it, the semifinal or even the finals very frequently. So they are playing championship level football in the FCS at least. They usually lose to North Dakota State, but I just know that I'm used to watching them because of how deep their playoff runs usually go in the FCS. Man. So it means they're a decent program, right? I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled to hear this and looking forward to seeing us lose eventually and dropping all your top 10. <laughs> but, uh, all right, number 10. I'll, you know what? I'll, 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 Back that up by another controversial take here. Um, NSB, I think you got the right idea here. With the low-down people, shall we say. I'm going Tennessee. Oh, my man. God. Uh, give me the Vols, dude. They looked amazing last week. And, I mean, for all the reasons we said before, I, I, I think they're definitely an improved team with a good quarterback, which is kind of scary to think about because Tennessee is a very hateable program. But, yeah, I, I think they've improved a lot. I think they look good. They look competent. They look solid. It looks like they're using the talent they have, which... It seems like it's been a long time since Tennessee's actually used their talent. So, yeah, give me Tennessee a 10. I will say the only thing I'm going to say to that is that Tennessee is our Minnesota. All right, <laughs> go ahead, MSB. Round out my top 10 here with WPS, 
Arkansas, baby. Wow. I think the big factor here for me is that when you look at, you know, again, for me, is do they pass the smell test? They played a Cincy team that, listen, they're not ranked anymore, but that's a very disciplined, you know, very talented, arguably the most talented G5 team. Um, I really have nothing else much to say other than that. I think Arkansas has shown if they can beat a team like that and do it in pretty good control, then, uh, yeah, they're going to be in my top 10. So they are number 10 for me, Arkansas. They played. They looked good. They looked every bit the part. They were good last year. So respectable opinion. I'll give it to you. All right. So I think that about wraps it up. Yes, it does indeed. Uh, NSB, any closing thoughts? Any shouts outs? Anything to close us out here? Closing thoughts. Mike Loxley's going to win by 50 this weekend. Charlotte, uh, get ready. He actually <laughs> might. He actually might. Against, uh... Poor Charlotte. Oh, All right. Well, They're going to run us out of town. I'm going to have to get yeah. security escorting me to the airport. It's going to be that bad. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, NSB, for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. You made for a great guest. Some great picks there in the top ten. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another exciting week of the Gym Podcast. We look forward to this weekend's games, as always. Uh, and by the way, before yeah. you say it, before you say yeah, it, before we say I it. had an, anon- an anonymous listener give an anonymous feedback tip. And she basically said that she is upset that you no longer say Roll Tide. I just, I'm just throwing that out there. You can say whatever you want, but no, I, I will that's respect just not that. on the feedback. I will respect that and close it up with this. <laughs> this has been the Jim Podcast, and as always, roll tide. On um, Wisconsin. And go Terps.